Right, let me give you a, a, a title for this morning, which was on that text. Could you put it up for me, please? Your story within the story. Your story within the story. Uh, we're in a Bible teaching series where we're looking at disciples making disciples. And here are some of the questions that we're looking at in the course of this series. And you'll see them on the screen. Why make disciples? What is a disciple? How are disciples made? Who makes disciples? And where are disciples made? And we're still in that first question of why make disciples? And I wonder how you would answer that question if someone came up to you and said, why make disciples, I wonder what you would say. One of the questions or one of the answers that we got a couple of weeks ago was this one from Matthew chapter 28. One of the reasons why we make disciples is because the risen Lord Jesus has given us his authority to go and make disciples disciples. And you remember his words, don't you, from two weeks ago in Matthew chapter 28. He said, therefore all authority has been given to me. Now what? Now go and make disciples. Based on the cosmic risen authority of Jesus Christ, we go and make learners. We go and make disciples. We go and make followers of Jesus Christ. Why make disciples? Because our king has charged us. He's commissioned us. He has commanded us to go and do it. And what a joy it should be for you and I to go and make disciples. What a joy it should be for you and I to be part of that which Jesus has commanded us to do. And just as a little reminder, I hope that you remember from two weeks ago that this command from Jesus to go and make disciples, it's not superseded by any other command from any other person. In other words, this is a command we will always do, no matter if whoever it is says to us, we can't do it. Jesus said that you're to go and make disciples. And he said that when you go, not only are you going to meet resistance, but you may even die for it as well. But oh, how we should rejoice when that happens. Now, let me just remind you from Acts chapter 5, verse 40. Have a look at this. Uh, a little bit into verse 40. They, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. What do you think the, uh, the apostles did? Do you think they obeyed that? That's verse 40. Have a look at verse 41. So the apostles left the Sanhedrin, what? Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then do you, what else do you think they did? Next. Verse 42, well, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And oh, how I pray that that heart would be here at BBC more and more and more. A, 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 a bold, willing to suffer, persevering, proclaiming 
that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. How I pray that that heart grows here at BBC. But this morning, I want to further investigate that question of why make disciples under this broad banner of your story within the story. Your story within the story. And I hope it will make sense by the time that I'm done. Here's our first heading. The story. The story. Why do we make disciples? Because of God's story. We could say it, we make disciples because of God's history. We could make disciples because it's his story, his story. How many of you like writing stories? Not many of you. Well, neither do I. How many of you like listening to stories? Quite a few of you. I wonder what your favorite story is. Well, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the eternal chambers of the Trinity wrote a story before the world began. And the story was to rescue a people for the only begotten eternal Son of the Father. The story of the Father, we could say, was a love story from the Father to the Son that would be actioned in the power of the Holy Spirit. We make disciples because that's God's story. It's an eternal plan to rescue a people for Jesus. We make disciples because that's what God is doing And it should be our joy and it should be our delight to be part of the story that God is writing. If you've got your Bible, I want to start to show it to you in Revelation chapter 7, which was read for us. And we should really get excited about this passage as as, as Doreen was. And, and, and as we look at Revelation chapter 7, and we're just going to look at a little, little part of it, what we're starting to see, it, it's a beautiful picture of God's eternal story. And look at the screen with me, and I want you to see what John saw. And notice in verse 9 that John saw a multitude of people that no one could count, and they were a people, verse 9, from every nation, from every tribe, every language, and every group. Look at verse 9. He saw that they were standing before the throne and before the risen Lamb of God, to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. And notice in verse 9 that John saw that this numberless multitude, they were, they were dressed in bedazzling clothes, white robes, symbolizing that they had the perfect righteousness of Jesus, which is why they could stand before the throne and not be consumed by his wrath. And have a look into verse 10. He, he sees that they're, 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 they're singing and they're praising the Father and the Son which is for the salvation which is theirs in Christ. And then it goes on. Have a look at verse 11. All the heavenly creatures, the angels, and all the heavenly throne room, they're all falling down in worship because of what God has done. 
And if you jump down to verse 15, we know that this is a picture of the end of the story. Because notice at the end of verse 15, notice that all those who are there, they are sheltered with his presence. And then in verse 16, as we look at the end of the story, it's a time when there is, there is, there is no hunger, there's no thirst, there's no famine. It's a time of unending shalom. It's an eternal space where never ever again will there be tears of pain. Can you see it? John is seeing the end of the glorious climax to God's story. This is what God is doing. This is where God is going. This is where his story is moving. This is the final rescue plan of God. It's the completion of the story to rescue a people for his son Jesus. As we look at the story, we, we need to remember, we need to know that, that the world we live in, it's not a never-ending story of bondage, sinful bondage and decay and suffering for God's people. The story my brothers and sisters, ends with God's people rescued from all the ravages of sin and suffering. We might be tempted to look at this world and think that the world is simply going to hell in a handbasket. The church of Jesus Christ seems to be more and more marginalized. Human atheism, human secularism, human relativism, it's on the rampage. You look at what's just happened in Afghanistan, and you've got to realize that no amount of, of peacekeeping will ever stop evil from rearing its monstrous head. You could look at the story that you could look at the story and think, maybe the devil's writing the story. Maybe he's flipping the pages. Maybe the ink in God's pen has run out. Maybe God is impotent. Maybe he's unable to finish the story. Maybe he can't bring about that final shalom of every people, from every nation, from every tribe, from every race, right there at the end. Maybe, maybe he's impotent. Until we read things like Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Or Proverbs 16, 33, yes, the lot is cast into the human lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Or Job 42, 2, well, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Or you finish in Isaiah 14, 27, for the Lord Almighty has purposed and who can thwart him? And the answer is no one. No one. The story of God rescuing a people by Jesus, for Jesus, from every nation, tribe, race, and culture, it cannot be stopped. This is what God purpose. That's his, his story. That's his history. That's what he's doing. That's what he will continue to do until the final page is written and the final person to be rescued is completed. 
And again, you can look at this world and think, really? Really? Is that really happening? Really? But you remember the words of Jesus in his parables, don't you? You remember how he said the kingdom of God grows. Do you remember? Remember Mark 4.26? He said, well, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And then continuing in verse 30 of the same chapter. Again, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. You see it? Whether you see it or don't see it, the kingdom is growing. It's... It's the king drawing his subjects to himself in worship ever so slowly, ever so patiently, one person at a time, one spiritual brick at a time into the spiritual temple. It's person by person. It's soul by soul. God writing his people into his story. and Nothing can stop it. No human affairs can stop it. No matter how pagan or evil they get. No matter COVID. No matter climate change. No matter how weak or feeble the people of God seem to be, the story will be finished. And every single one of God's people will be there on the last page. Christian, is it not wonderful for us to be able to go to the end of the story and see how it ends. And know that right there at the end, it's going to be multi-ethnic, multi-languaged, multi-colored, multicultural, rescued by Jesus for eternal shalom. That's our hope, Christian. That's our hope. And it's then and only then that every tear of pain will be wiped from your face forever. It's divine purpose, it's divine intention, it's divine action, and it's divine completion. You know that our God is a great God. He's a great storyteller, isn't he? But he's also the story completer. The story. God's rescue plan of a people by Jesus, for Jesus, for eternal shalom. How about your story? How about your story? You got your Bible, you want to turn with me, and we go to Colossians chapter 1, and particularly verse 12 and 13. Let me just read them to you again. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. And I want you to have a look at verse 13 very carefully. I want to see your story. 
I want you to see your story. Here's your story. Your story is that you have been what? Rescued. You've been rescued from a dominion of darkness and brought into a, a kingdom of the sun, which you can see at the end of verse 12, is known as the kingdom of light. God's story. Rescuing a people for his son. Your story. The father rescuing you for his son. If you're a Christian here this morning, I, I wonder what your story is. We got a little glimpse this morning, just a very small glimpse of, of the story of Mark and Allison. And, and, and the, 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 the details of that story were absolutely unique to them, wasn't it? I mean, every detail was absolutely unique to them. And your story would be absolutely unique. But in one way, your story, my story, our story is exactly the same, isn't it? By the gift of faith, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been transferred, if you like. We've been brought into, we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. That's your story in a most unique way. And the world that we live in, the Bible describes as being darkness, doesn't it? I don't know if you can imagine this, but try. I want you to imagine that you are locked into a small two-by-two two or four-by-four sort of jail cell. You're in this jail cell. You're locked in. You're absolutely wide awake. But the jail cell is in utter darkness. There are no windows. There is no door. There's no skylight. There are no gaps anywhere where any glimpse of light can get into. You're in this jail cell and it's just consumed with utter, heavy, consummate darkness. That's how our lives are viewed from God's perspective. We are living in that darkness. It is said of Great cities like Sydney and Perth and Melbourne. It's said that these sort of cities have a dark side. You'll hear a phrase, something like that, that, that the city of Sydney has got this dark underbelly, as it were. And the police are always trying to expose the darkness. They're trying to, to get at the dark underbelly. Because of the presence of sin in every single human being, the world that we live in is a dark underbelly of corruption and rebellion against God. People can't even see the darkness, except maybe if it's in someone else. People walk in darkness. They sleep in darkness. They rest in darkness. They work in darkness. They play in darkness. They can't see it. The world is not some sort of bright, sunny place where people just go about their business and go to work. Look at your story again. Look at your story. 
rescued. Rescued. Rescued from a realm, a dominion, a kingdom of utter darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Rescued. My brother and sister, God didn't give you a helping hand into the kingdom of light. It wasn't a co-effort. It wasn't like you were in trouble and then God gave you some resources to get out of the darkness. It wasn't God just giving you the key and saying, well, now you take the key and you turn the door. You were rescued. Rescued from the darkness of this world. Rescued from the dominion of the devil. Rescued from the realm of death and the power of sin. Rescued from a life of futility. Rescued from a life of hopelessness. Rescued from a life of idolatry. Rescued from a life separated from God. Rescued from a destiny of wrath, judgment, and condemnation. Rescued for a kingdom of light. For a life of forgiveness. For a life of hope and meaning and good works. Rescued for a life united to Christ. Rescued for a life of eternal shalom. Rescued for a life with the glorious Son of God. Your story will end in glorious light. Your story will end in that shalom of Revelation 7 with all the beauty and all the joy and all the light that there can possibly be. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has in store for those whom he loves. Christian, your story is not finished yet. From our perspective, it's still unfolding, isn't it? But can you see where your story ends? How wonderful is it that we can look to the, to the end? Can you see where your story will end? What hope we have. So thirdly, your story within the story. Is it clear yet? Can you see your story within his story? You see it? It's God rescuing a people for his son. It's God rescuing you for his son. It's your story within the story. I don't know if we've got any Olympic fans out there. You may know that we've just finished with the Olympic Games in Tokyo and the Paralympics are on as we speak. And when you watch the news and you watch various Olympic interviews and conversations, you, you'll hear something like this, that, that being part of the Olympics is about being part of something so much bigger than yourself. You heard that? So a, a particular sports person in a particular sporting uh, discipline, they're not merely competing for, for their own personal glory and accolades. They, they're competing for something so much bigger. In, in our context, it's, 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 it's Australia. And you get this bigger perspective when you realize how much emphasis is placed on the medal tally. Have you noticed that? How many medals did we win? How many gold medals did we get for Australia? And how wonderful it was that Australia, this Olympics, got more gold medals than the previous one. 
Competing as part of the Olympics is about competing in something so much bigger than yourself. Can you see that your story within the story is about being part of something so much bigger than yourself? Maybe think about it this way to continue the Olympic analogy. When you become, when you become a disciple of King Jesus, it's like you get his gold medal. He ran the race for you. He lived the perfect life for you. He competed, uh, he, he, uh, competed and defeated the opposition at the cross. You get his gold medal. But his gold medal that he gives you is part of the Jesus Olympic team, isn't it? It's about something so much bigger than just our little Gold medal. Your gold medal. My gold medal that I get from Jesus, that you get from Jesus. It's one gold medal among millions. It's one gold medal among billions that Jesus is giving out as part of the God story of rescuing a people for himself. I want you to think about it this way. I wonder if you realize that in your rescue, someone, somewhere, somehow has been part of your story. Do you realize that? So, for example, if you went into a hotel room and you picked up a Gideon's Bible and started reading it and you were rescued, someone put that Bible there for you. If you just picked up the Bible and started reading it and you were converted, someone gave you that Bible. Someone printed that Bible. Someone translated that Bible. If you were converted under the preaching of the gospel, someone prepared and preached that message for you. Perhaps you were brought to church by someone. Perhaps you were taken to that youth group by someone. I doubt very much, there may be the odd exception, I doubt very much that anybody here has been directly converted in a vision from King Jesus like the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. That's not the norm. Why? Because it's rescued people that rescue people. It is God's plan that rescued people rescue others by sharing their story. As to what Jesus has done. Now let me just say so it's clear. We are only ever saved by Jesus, aren't we? It's by faith in what Jesus has done through his beautiful gospel. But there are always human instruments and human links in the many, many links that have brought you to King Jesus. The rescued rescue others. And perhaps we might see it just ever so clearly in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters it's anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll each be rewarded according to their labor. Verse 9, for we are what? Co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. In this, in this rescue plan 
in this rescue of helpless, hopeless, and darkened sinners. We're God's co-workers. We're part of that. It's, it's our story within this story. And again, what an honor, what a privilege it should be for us to share our story within the story. So let me give you two concluding things. Here's the first one. When we consider our story within the story or our story within his story, you realize it's not just about you. It's not just about me. In fact, it's not even just about us. It's about all those from all tribes, all nations, all places, all spaces, all languages, all races, all languages. It's about all of those whom God is rescuing and bringing into his story. Christian, your story is a rescue story from darkness and death to light and life. There are some people in your story that you know, and there's some people in your story that you don't know. But you are now part of telling your story within the story so that others can come into his story. Christian, you're a storyteller. Share your story. Tell him of what Jesus has done. Tell people how you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and death and brought into a kingdom of light and life. If you were in a car accident and you need to be rescued by the jaws of life, you'd retell that story, wouldn't you? If you were rescued from a mountainous terrain or a raging riptide, or you were rescued from some sort of deadly and dangerous situation, you'd just retell your story of how thankful you were that someone loved you enough to come and rescue you. your story within the story. Christian, tell your story within the story so that the nations, so that the nations, whoever they are, wherever they are, may come to praise, glorify, and worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who conquered death. Conquered sin. Conquered the devil. Rose from the grave. And has prepared that endless shalom. For those who believe. Will you tell your story? Won't you bow with me in prayer? Just as you're bowed in prayer, just, just, I know, just, just 
quickly, just allow your mind to run through your story. Just, just give it a, give some thought. Just your story. Just as you ponder on that just for a moment, think how, think how unique it is. Think how special it is. Think how detailed it is. Can you see the links? Can you see the people? Your story within the story. Father, for each of us here this morning, you've given us a story. It's your story for us, but it's our story within your story. And I just pray that deep from within, by your spirit that dwells within, there would come such a joy and a privilege and an honor to share our story within your story. For the sake of the glorious Son in the glorious kingdom of light. Amen.